All right, church, we come now this morning to the preaching of the Word of God. If you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 this morning is where we'll be in the Scriptures. Let's take a moment and let's, let's pray together again and let's ask for the help of the Holy Spirit during this time that he would be the one to minister the word of God to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again in Jesus' name, Lord. Christ is our boast today. Christ is our boast all the days, Lord. And it is his, and it is his name, Lord, that we come to you now. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to this church. And God, we ask for more grace this morning. God, sanctifying grace, Lord, fill our souls today with the things of Jesus Christ, with eternal truths, Lord. Minister the gospel to our hearts this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, unless you build this house, those who build it, Lord, we labor in vain. God, we need you. We need you all the days, Lord. Come be our shield and our strength and our sanctifier this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, church, today we come to an important marker in the history of this local church. Last Sunday, this congregation recognized by way of a membership vote our brother Nick Stafford as an elder, a pastor at Grace Community Church. So this morning after our sermon, we are going to publicly commission our brother Nick to the work and office of pastor. And so that's where we're headed today. Before we do this, as a local church, we're going to take some time in the scriptures to remind ourselves of what the Bible teaches about leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters and everybody here, this should be really important stuff to you. Okay, This affects everybody in the church if we get this right or if we get this wrong as the people of God. And so we're going to lean in this morning. I encourage you to lean in with me, leaning into the scriptures, asking God to teach us with his word. Now, I'll start here this morning. The most fundamental confession that we could make as the church of Jesus Christ, if somebody would say, you know, what are y'all about? Okay. We could say this. Jesus is Lord. That's what we're about. We're about Jesus Christ being Lord. And when Christians say, uh, uh, if they're right, when Christians say Jesus is Lord, we don't mean just in this little slice in the church, though Jesus is the head of the church, we mean that Jesus is Lord of all. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. That same Bible says that Jesus is also the ruler of kings on earth. Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus told us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. How much authority does Jesus have? All authority. Where? In heaven and on earth. Jesus is Lord in every way. Christ is King. Yet, 
Our same Bibles tell us that there are other authorities besides Jesus. And you say, wait a second. How can Jesus have all authority and heaven and all? And how can you say in the very next breath that there are other authorities besides Jesus? How do these things go together? And the way they go together is that the Bible teaches that all authority ultimately derives from God. It is subordinate authority under God's authority. And it is precisely because that authority derives from God that all authority is accountable to God. There's no kings in the world that are not accountable to God the King. This same principle applies to uh, presidents and governors and police and parents and bosses and pastors. They have authority. God-given authority in this world, but it's derived from God. And they're going to give an account of how they use that authority to the one true authority, God himself. Is that authority being used in a lawful way or an unlawful way? Is it being used in a way that accurately portrays the authority of God? Is that authority being used under the kingship or the lordship of Jesus Christ? Or is that man a usurper of the authority of God in rebellion to the authority of God? So friends, all authority in this world comes from God and all authority in this world is accountable to God. Such is the world that we live in every day. From the very first chapter of the Bible, we get this sense of God's design as the king of the world to rule this world through these subordinate authorities. Okay? And we get that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, in the dominion mandate. God gives Adam that charge to rule the world on his behalf, to take dominion on his behalf. And that same principle keeps reappearing as we read our Bibles. Different men take that leadership mantle over the people of God. So think about it with me. As the story of Scripture progresses... From the chosen family of the patriarchs, think Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, to the chosen nation of Israel, think men like Moses and Joshua, leadership, 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 leadership. God's ruling his people, but he's doing it through his chosen leaders. This leadership theme also progresses from the kings of Israel during the days of the promised land. All the way to the governors of Israel during the days of exile, leadership. From the Levitical priest in Israel during the days of the temple to the rabbis in Israel during the days of the synagogue, leadership, leadership. So I want you to get a sense of that. From the very beginning all the way forward, God's people have always had leadership. God's people have not been a leaderless people. Okay, This is clear as the Bible unfolds, clearer and clearer. Now, equally clear, especially in the Old Testament, is that oftentimes, and even majority of times, those leaders did not live up to the task. God put them in the place of leadership, and then they failed. Over and over we see this. And even good men fall short of what God had called them to do. So God has designed his people to be ruled or led by leaders. And these leaders fall short 
in the Old Testament, especially leading the people of God. Now, as we jump into Jeremiah 23 this morning, I want to mention to you the ro- what are the role of the prophets in Israel. We're about to read the words of one of the prophets in Israel. And these are the men that are the prosecuting attorneys of, the, of Moses. Moses is the law. Moses is the standard. These are the men that come beside Moses as the prosecuting attorneys and indict the nation with the law of God. And one of the things unique about the prophet Jeremiah is he lays that indictment in a special way on the leaders of Israel. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Jeremiah is indicting the shepherds in this passage. And by shepherds, I don't mean the literal sheep keepers in Israel. This is a metaphor in the Old Testament for the leaders in Israel, whether kings, governors, prophets, priests, elders, judges, the leaders, the scripture called, those are the shepherds of the people. So with that in view, let's read God's word together this morning. Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 1, and we will cover to verse 6 together this morning. Thus says the Lord, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord." Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness." This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. Now I want to mention that at this point in biblical history, in Jeremiah's time, Israel is at this critical juncture. Okay, They have approached this breaking point in their apostasy and in their disobedience that God is threatening to send them into exile. So that's, that's where we're jumping in this morning. And in this dark piece of Israel's history, I want you to notice in verses 1 and 2, this indictment that Jeremiah lays upon the shepherds of Israel. He says in verse 1, you are scatterers of the flock. Shepherds are supposed to do the opposite. They're supposed to gather the flock, but you are scatterers of the flock of God. And you have driven away the sheep. He says it this way in verse 2, they have not attended to them. And so here we have this indictment that we have these subordinate authorities. God put them in this place of leadership 
and they have failed. They have abdicate, abdicated their duties. They failed their duties um, before God. And God is indicting these leaders as self-serving men, not sheep-serving men. They are scatterers of the flock. Earlier in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah several times indicts the shepherds throughout this book. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21, he says this, For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord, and therefore they have not prospered, and all the flock is scattered. So these leaders are indicted as prayerless men. They're self-serving men. They're living on their own wisdom. They're not inquiring of the Lord. They're not walking in the law of Yahweh. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And so what I want you to see is Jeremiah is painting for us. This is a dark scene in redemptive history. This is bad. This is on the very verge of the exile. And there's no faithful leaders. There's no faithful shepherds. Now, Ezekiel takes up this same theme, this indictment of the shepherds. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel 34. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones... And you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So you have this picture of these selfish kings in Israel, these self-serving priests in Israel. Now, the reason I wanted us to look at this passage together is I want you to notice in Jeremiah 23 that we stand at this juncture between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in this passage. And I want you to see that. In verses 1 and 2, Jeremiah is describing the Old Covenant situation. Unfaithful shepherds, unfaithful leaders, apostate leaders in Israel. God's going to judge these leaders. The people are going into exile. It's verses 1 and 2, Old Covenant. Then in this same passage, Jeremiah pivots and he begins to prophesy the remedy of this glorious coming day. And he's prophesied, this is in verses 3 through 6, of this new covenant reality, this new covenant remedy. This is what is the case right now, but this is what's coming. And so I want you to notice that part of the background of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we love Part of that dark background is this dark canvas of failed leadership in the people of God. Now, some of you know that all too well, of the pain of personally being under ungodly leadership. We've heard that from some of you, uh, being under ungodly pastors. Some of you grew up under ungodly fathers, ungodly husbands. You know the pain of that all too well. Some of you carry the scars of what it means to be under unfaithful and rebellious leadership. And I want you to notice in this passage, we have an assurance in this passage, verse 2, 
that unless those subordinate authorities repent and turn away from their sin, God will punish them for their deeds. Look at what he says in verse 2. I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. There's not one act of abusing authority that's going to be swept under the rug on the final day. God's going to deal with it. He's going to hold them to account. God will deal with those who abuse delegated authority. So we have this old covenant, dark situation, and then Jeremiah begins to prophesy these coming days. And I want you to notice he prophesies two remedies in this passage. Okay, And they're not like each other, but there's two remedies here. The first solution that he draws our attention to, the primary solution, is God himself. Who's going to fix this? God himself is going to fix this. Okay, Notice what he says in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. And so church, I want us to learn this well. The remedy, the ultimate remedy for failed leadership is Jesus Christ. He is the righteous branch of David, and he came to reign as king. He came to do what none of the Old Testament shepherds were able to do, even the good man. He came to effectively gather the people of God, to effectively shepherd the people of God. Look at what it says. In his day, verse 3, what will happen? The remnant are going to be gathered. The sheep will be brought back to the fold. And the people of God will be fruitful and multiply. Look at what he says in verse 6. This is the name by which he will be called in that day. The Lord is our righteousness. And so brothers and sisters, I just want to get us located right in this text. These are the days that we live in right now. These are the gospel days that Jeremiah prophesied. The righteous branch of David is coming, and we live in the days that the righteous branch of David has come. What's happening right now, according to this passage, is that the sheep of Jesus Christ are being gathered in. And he is being known and proclaimed as the Lord our righteousness. And so I want you to see this. There is a twofold remedy to this old covenant problem of failed leadership, but it's really important that we don't run to the second remedy too quickly. The first remedy is primary. The second remedy is secondary and derivative. The first remedy is God himself is going to fix it. Second remedy is God's going to provide faithful pastors for his people. We'll talk about that in a minute. The first remedy is primary. In other words, the hero of the Bible is Jesus, not your pastors. The, the solution to the problem is Christ, not men. The remedy for bad leadership in the Bible is not simply better leadership, but perfect leadership, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, and the Bible calls him the chief shepherd of the people of God. Now I say it that way because sometimes this, is, this gets twisted in our minds. 
that we are uh, uh, wronged in some way by some authority. And in order to try to fix that, we go try to find somebody else to fix that. You know, your dad was abusive to you, so you spend the rest of your life looking to men to fix that problem, to fill that problem. Or you were under abusive pastors and you're looking for the next, you know, godly pastor, fix my problem, fix my problem. You can't run past this first step. Jesus is the solution to the problem. The remedy for failed leadership is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that will ever be known as your righteousness. He is the Lord, our righteousness. It's been said that the best of men are men at best. And even good men will never be Christ to you. Even good men will never be Christ to you. Pastors cannot heal you. They cannot save you. They cannot be your righteousness. Only Jesus can be your righteousness. The Bible says that pastors are to be highly esteemed for their work. Which means that sometimes there's this tendency not to do that. The Bible also says that there's a tendency in the church to elevate good men to a place, to a weight that they can't carry. And we shouldn't do that either. Pastors are to be highly esteemed, yet they are no replacements for Jesus Christ. They're not Christ's substitutes. Matthew 23, verse 8, Jesus says this, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And so I want us to guard this jealously in this local church. The exaltation of Christ alone. The exaltation of Jesus Christ alone. Alone In the parallel passage to Jeremiah 23 in Ezekiel chapter 34, he says it this way. God says it this way. He describes the same problem. And then he says this. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. And we need to know that well. God says, I'm going to fix this. I'm not trusting in men to fix this. I'm going to fix this and I'm going to do it myself. And the way that God fixes it is he sends us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so the church of Jesus is no place for boasting in men. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or future, all are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. And so brothers and sisters, I don't think we can say this enough Jesus is the head of the church he's the head of every church he's the head of this church he is the chief shepherd he's the head of the body and he is forever our righteousness he's the righteous one one of the things that you don't see in the book of revelation you know uh, uh, chapter 4 and 5 you see this glimpse of the last day this awesome moment where all the nations tribes and tongues are gathered before the throne and you see one singular individual in that moment being worshiped as the lamb standing as though he had been slain worthy are you lord worthy are you lord don't get that wrong don't get that wrong however However, 
or actually I should say full stop new thought. Okay, it's not, not, not however, full stop new thought. Jesus is going to fix this problem of failed leadership by being the good shepherd, the one and only true shepherd. And in this same passage, there's a second remedy, okay, that when Jesus ascends to the right hand of God, and right now as Jesus sits at the right hand of God, he doesn't leave his church without leaders. There are leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. The church is not a leaderless group of Christ's disciples. And we see that in this passage. Look at verse 4. God promises this secondary remedy. I will set shepherds, note the plural, over them who will care for them. And so Jesus is going to come be the one true shepherd. He's going to himself do what no man could ever do. And yet that same exalted Christ is going to set these under shepherds, plural, over his people. And he promises us good shepherds here. He says they're going to care for the sheep. They're going to care for the sheep. Earlier in Jeremiah's uh, book, chapter 3, verse 15, we have the same promise described in different language. Listen, listen to these words. New covenant promise. I will give you shepherds, plural, after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. And so church, I want you to know this promise. This is one of the promises that's in the basket of, that we call the new covenant. Okay, this is one of these glorious promises that God will provide his people with good shepherds, under shepherds who know the Lord and who feed the sheep, who care for the flock. Not ones who serve themselves, but ones who serve Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you with that. You can trust God for that. You can pray, God, give me that. I need that. I want that. I want good shepherds that know you, that feed me with knowledge and understanding. And you could take it even further than that. You can pray this promise for your children. How you like that? Pray this promise. God, you said, you said that you would give this to your people. And they need it, Lord. I want my children to be under godly pastors that preach the gospel to them. You can kick it out even more. You can pray this for your children's children. Give them shepherds after your own heart that feed them with knowledge and understanding. Men of the gospel, men that love the church, and men that love Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that God promises in the new covenant. Shepherds, plural, under shepherds who know the Lord and serve the people of God. Now, I want to make sure you all know that the word pastor is just a, a, a synonym, a one way of uh, saying the word shepherd. And so when he promises shepherds after his own heart, he's promising pastors who love Christ. Okay, This is what he's promising in Jeremiah 23. And so when we receive qualified New Testament pastors, what's happening is God is fulfilling this promise. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. He is gifting his people with shepherds that care for them. Okay? God is the effective chief shepherd who gathers the flock, shares his glory with none, 
But the chief shepherd provides under shepherds who feed the sheep. Okay? I think that's awesome. That every time the people of God sit under a faithful pastor, God is keeping his promise. God is keeping his promise. Their role, the pastor's role, is described in the New Testament. They are called by several different words in the New Testament. They are called pastors. They are called elders. They are called overseers in the house of God. Those are just synonymous ways of describing the same leaders in the church. They are called servants. They are called ministers. They are called soldiers of Jesus Christ. They are charged to preach the whole counsel of God, to labor in prayer, to pay careful attention to all the flock, to watch over souls, to manage the household of God, to do the work of an evangelist, to labor, to present every man mature in Christ, all while setting the believers an example to follow. This is what God says about his under-shepherds in his church. Now, as we prepare to bring our brother into this office, I want to give us four reminders. Uh, These are four principles of New Testament leadership. And I'll start with number one. I want to remind us of the plurality principle. Okay? In other words, why is it not that a church gets a pastor and then stops? Why another pastor and another pastor and another pastor and another elder and another... Why? Okay. Nowhere in the New Testament do we read about a single pastor of a church. And that should be meaningful to you. As common as that is in our day, you cannot find that in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament pattern is clearly a plurality of leaders. Plurality of pastors. I'll give you two verses here. In Acts chapter 14, now this is important because this is the first missionary journey in the book of Acts. And they preach the gospel and they begin to send out these missionaries, preach the gospel, gather these churches. And this is one of the things they did in every church that they planted. Acts 14 verse 23, they appointed elders, plural, in every church. How many elders? Plural. In which churches? Every church. Elders in every church. First missionary journey. Another, another text here is Titus chapter 1, verse 3. This is Paul the Apostle's charge to this young pastor who's to set things in order in Crete. What does he tell, Tim, what does he tell Titus to do? He says, appoint elders, plural, in every town in Crete. How many elders? Multiple. How many towns? Every town. This is the biblical pattern. And so what this means is that healthy, well-ordered churches are going to have multiple, a plurality of pastors, elders, uh, teachers, overseers. This is the biblical model. Okay, And we refer to this as the plurality principle. From the very beginning of GCC, we have sought to honor this principle of not just one pastor in the church, but a multitude of counselors leading this church together. Principle number two. These leaders must be qualified. They must be qualified men. And that makes sense from Jeremiah 23. If they're not, we're just right back to the old covenant situation. 
We're, if they're not qualified men, then we're right back to you selfish shepherds who are scattering the sheep. There's no remedy. Okay? And so they have to be qualified men. In other words, being a pastor is not just for those who simply desire it. Granddaddy was a pastor. Daddy was a pastor. I've always been a pastor. You know, never thought about being anything else from a pastor. Um, it's not just simply desiring it, though there's nothing wrong with desiring it. Desiring it is a noble thing. But it's only for those who demonstrate the qualifications to serve in this office of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we, we have... By the grace of God, by the mercy of God, we have the wisdom of God of what those qualifications look like, what they are. We don't have to guess. God gave them to us in his word. Let me read them to you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so, just in broad strokes, the, the qualifications are godliness. Okay? Some abilities must be able to teach, but the majority is godliness. We need godly men uh, in this office leading the people of God. And again, that makes sense. If we don't have that, we're just right back to Jeremiah 23. Nick, this church affirmed last week that we believe that you meet these qualifications. And I hope that's a great encouragement to you. That congregational affirmation is a great encouragement to you as you begin to take up this work. Uh, we want you to go after this work. We see you in this way. So you got to be qualified to be a pastor in the church. Principle number three. Church leaders are servants. They're not presidents. Okay? They're servants. All right? In other words, the ministry is a place for laboring and serving the master by tending to the sheep. Laboring and serving the master by tending to the sheep. Listen to how Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ, the glorious gospel of Christ. And then he says this, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's locating a pastor in his office. They are servants of the church for Jesus' sake. Okay? Pastors are servants. Nick, I want to remind you of a truth you already know. The ministry is a place for service and not notoriety. Being a pastor is not a way to make a name for yourself. It is a place to serve the people of God. I want to share this Ligon Duncan quote. Okay? 
uh, along these lines. This has been meaningful to me. He says this, but notice one thing. Paul does call this ministry, or to give it its proper name, service. He considered me faithful, putting me into service. Lincoln Duncan says, you know, Paul could have said, God gave me the exalted position and status of an apostle. And Paul will go on to say things like that elsewhere. But here he simply says, Jesus called me to serve. To serve his people, to serve him. That's what I am. I'm a servant. And that's what true gospel ministry is. It's service. And that means we need to expect to be treated like servants every once in a while. And you know we get offended by that. We say, Lord, make me a servant. We sing, make me a servant, Lord. But then when we get treated like servants, we don't like it. Well, remember the next time you're treated like a servant, when you're serving the gospel in this congregation, when you're loving someone and then they treat you like a servant, remember you're just getting a little taste of what the master himself experienced and what his servant Paul experienced in gospel ministry. We are called to service, not to notoriety. And so, brother, as you step into this new level of service, we're all servants of Christ. We are all serving the church. But as our brother steps into this new level of service, we want to exhort you to take up this work and to do it with all of your heart. Pray for you in this work to be exceedingly fruitful, seeking only the glory of Christ. Fourth principle, New Testament leaders are gifts from the ascended Christ. How should we receive them? Okay. Well, we shouldn't think about them like um, the way you thought about the student council in high school. Okay. Like, oh, those are just the, 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 either the popular ones or the ones who just annoy everybody, vote for me, vote for me, you know, like, and that's who the student council is. Okay? We shouldn't view pastors like that, like they won some popularity vote in the church. We should receive them as these are gifts from Jesus Christ to this local church. Okay? And that's exactly how Paul situates pastors in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen close. When he ascended on high, Jesus, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now one interesting thing about this text, we're going to read it, is those gifts he gave to men are men, okay? He gave gifts to men in the form of men. Listen to what he says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to receive our brother in this way today. Lord Jesus, you're being faithful to this church. Lord Jesus, you have been faithful to this church. Lord Jesus, we ask you to keep being faithful to this church. Now, in the New Testament, these leaders are formally commissioned to this work uh, in a, a two-fold process. One is congregational affirmation. And that's what we did last week. And then that is followed by the laying on of hands by the council of elders. That's how officers were commissioned to their work in the New Testament. And that's what we're about to do 
now. We're going to sing to Christ together, okay? And then we're going to have our brother come to the front and the pastors of this church are going to lay hands on Nick and we are going to commission him to this work. I want to invite you to stand together now. We're going to stand and we are going to worship Christ.